The viewpoints expressed on Night Fright are not necessarily those of the host, the staff, the sponsors, or the affiliate stations. Tonight's program may contain graphic themes or images. Viewer discretion is advised. There is a time for There is a time. For answers. There is a time to challenge. There is a time to speculate. There is a time to change. There is a time for truth. The time is now. Showtime! Welcome to the show. I'm Brent Holland, and welcome one and all to Night Fright. Get the coffee going, get the tea going, get a beverage of your choice going, settle in that comfy chair, because this is going to be one fantastic ride tonight. Kathleen Martin and Stanton Friedman are right here on Night Fright together. Kathleen Martin, of course, has written three books. Captured, the Betty and Barty Hill UFO Experience. Science Was Wrong, with nuclear physicist, scientific UFOologist, Stanton T. Friedman, and The Alien Abduction Files, with Denise Stoner. Our other guest tonight, folks, Stanton Friedman, almost needs no introduction. Stanton T. Friedman is a nuclear physicist and has worked in highly advanced classified programs. You ready for this? Such as nuclear aircraft, fission and fusion rockets, and various compact nuclear power plants that are designed for space and terrestrial applications. He is known as the father of Roswell, and with good reason, folks, Stan was the original civilian investigator of the Roswell incident. Friday, Sunday, May 29th, 31st, contact in the desert. That's at the Joshua Tree Retreat Center. It's near Palm Springs. The reason why I mention this is because both Kathleen and Stan are heading there. And I want to promote this incredible conference that's going to be taking place there. And this whole series that we've got coming up, we started last week. Of course, Jim Mars was on the show. Uh, all these amazing people are going to be there. You know, Kathleen will be there. Stan will be there. Uh, Stephen Bassett's going to be there, who was just on the, uh, the show a few weeks ago as well. Uh, Jim Mars, of course. And... The focus of topic is going to be primarily about UFOs, of course, but there'll be other things that people will be talking about as well. Like Jim told me he'll be talking about some of the truth uh, research that he's done over the past little while. Now, the other thing I want to mention to listeners, if you go to the www.nightfrightshow.com website, www.nightfrightshow.com website, there you're going to find an entry form for a contest. The contest is free. The only requirement is your email address to let you know if you've won or not. What are you going to win? Are you ready? This is how nice they've been from contact in the desert, the folks, the good folks there. 
they're allowing me to give away a free weekend pass to contact in the desert. Let me say that again, a free weekend pass. All you have to do is once you're on the Night Fright Show website is fill out the form with your email address. Make sure it's a legit one because you're going to want to get those tickets. Send it off and then you're automatically put into a draw and that draw again will be a free weekend pass. Kathleen, what is going to be your topic when you're at Contact in the Desert? I'm going to do a lecture on the history of uh, alien abductions and ET contact dating back to 1961 and actually a little bit before that to the present day. And I'm going to be speaking about uh, the changes and the way that all of this has evolved over the past 55 years. Also, I'm going to be doing a workshop with experiencers to give them a little bit of knowledge about how they can investigate their own experiences and acquire evidence. Hi, Kathleen. Hi, Brent. Hello, How's the world out there? (laughs) The world is great. Um, We have to get this in right away, Stan, because we feel it's really important. Um, Are they having a sale on snow shovels in New Brunswick? (laughs) I still have snow in my yard. Many people don't, but I still do. Uh, This was a record year. If you ever wanted to sell snow shovels, this would have been the year. Uh, I've lived here 35 years. More snow than any of those other times. Incredible. Pretty wild. So, Stan, uh, we were just talking about contact in the desert and all the great people that are going to be there. And I was just wondering, what is your topic of conversation when you're there? It's time we rethought how we think about our place in the universe. And we don't do this enough. Oh, how so? How How do you feel? Well, look, when I was a young lad a long time ago, there were many people who thought this was the only solar system in the whole universe. And uh, ours was obviously the only planet that had people running around on it. And so we were the top of the heap. And now, thanks to a, a number of things, especially the Kepler spacecraft, which is a wonderful device, Having worked in technology, I really am excited by Kepler because it's found so many darn planets, it's hard to believe. Anyway, our thinking now has changed. Instead of thinking, as Frank Drake did, he thought he was being generous and thinking there might be 8,000 places on in the galaxy that could send us signals. And when you look at Kepler data, you say, well, uh, <laughs> probably 8 billion in the galaxy. So our vision of uh, how significant we are should certainly have changed. And in addition, we have finally glommed on to, within my lifespan, uh, the means of pro- the major means of producing energy in the universe. That's nuclear fusion. We didn't even know there was such a thing. We thought the sun was a mass of burning gas. Uh, it isn't. It's a nuclear fusion device, if you will. And uh, all the stars are. And we didn't test uh, nuclear fusion until 1952. Uh, I mean, we did it rather spectacularly. Our first H-bomb released the energy of 10 million tons of TNT. (laughs) That's a step above normal chemical means of producing energy, I think everybody would agree. (laughs) 
the Russians tested one that released the energy of 50 million tons of TNT. The 10 million tonner had a fireball three miles wide. But it gives you an entirely different picture of what the universe is like. And the point is, you can use nuclear fusion to go to the stars. If you want to spend the dough, you can go. And so that's changed everything in terms of those two things together. Besides all the evidence the government has gathered about flying saucers, uh, it's clear that there are aliens visiting here. It's clear there's a cosmic water gate. And uh, it's clear that the young people are, you know, it's no big deal to talk about space travel. Uh, that's what I hear most often. Yeah, we, we, we were just talking about that with Kathy. We were, we were, you know, we were hoping that perhaps not only mainstream media, but mainstream health professionals would take abductions more seriously. And perhaps we could invite the idea that one day it may be taught in the university systems right alongside Jungian uh, theory and also Freudian theory. Uh, not a bad idea. Uh, of course, one hopes that it's not because they expect to wipe us off the face of the earth and to gather as much data as they can before we wipe ourselves off the mm. face of the earth. Uh, you know, it's kind of a glimmer of uh, <laughs> hold on to this data because these guys are long gone. They're going to clobber themselves. Uh, I'm much more of an optimist than that, I guess, or I wouldn't be doing what I've been doing. See, the crazy thing is, most people believe most other people don't believe in flying saucers. On the other hand, if you take the surveys, most people do believe in flying saucers. So if we can get rid of that nasty, noisy negativism, which keeps people from speaking out, and Kathy knows that there are people who say, uh, I don't want you to tell anybody, but I had this experience or that experience. You know, Bud Hopkins talked to doctors, medical doctors. Kathy, you've talked to some psychological professionals, haven't you? I certainly have, and, and Stan, I have spoken with uh, former military officers, airline pilots, medical doctors, psychologists, uh, air, you name it, uh, individuals who on any other topic would yeah. be considered highly credible, yet they have had these experiences and cannot talk about it. And uh, they just need someone that they can talk to in confidence. Mm. And they've trusted me enough to speak to me uh, about their experiences. But you would be surprised. I know you wouldn't stand. I would. Many people would be surprised uh, at how far uh, or to what extent of society this includes. Stan, you touched on something that I don't like to entertain, and I want to ask Kathleen this because she has spoken to military people. And that is, are the aliens a threat to us? And do the military folks, I understand they would fear the experience, but are they afraid of the physical entity of something we would call an alien? I think they're afraid of how people will react to their having to admit that they've been lying all this time. I think they're concerned about maybe aliens siding with somebody else on this planet. I mean, can you imagine 1947? Oh we just God. finished this horrible war which killed 50 million people, destroyed 1,700 cities. 
And now we got they recover wreckage at Roswell and then at Aztec and Point St. Augustine. Little guys. Does that mean they're working with the Chinese, for example? Hmm. Excellent. That would be something to worry about. Uh, well, I have so to. I, I have to tell you that uh, the military people that I have spoken to seem to be somewhat divided. I've had one inform me that uh, these ETs are evil entities and, and oh. that I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Uh, hmm. And but I've had uh, others inform me that. Uh, the the military knows far more about this than uh, they're willing to let on. Uh, so you know it sort of runs the gamut from some an individual who will say, well, we're you know you you can uh, it, to imply that there's some kind of agreement or they're they know a lot more about each other than they're willing to let on. I think the biggest threat to the United States government and the English government and the Indian government and the Chinese government and so forth is when people start to think of themselves as earthlings, think of themselves as one planet. Uh, you know, we live in a world that this year will spend a trillion dollars on things military. That's the military budget. The military intelligence budget two years ago, according to the Washington Post, was $52.6 billion. Billion dollars. Billion. That's the NRO, NSA, and CIA. NRO is National Reconnaissance Office. Right. So, you know, that's a huge amount of money. So, obviously, somebody's concerned about the other somebody's on the planet. But remember, I don't know of any of these governments that want their citizens to owe their allegiance to the planet instead of that individual government. I think nationalism is the only game in town. And so I can see how everybody would be concerned. How do we get from where we are? All these countries, each spending huge amounts of money uh, to a planet that's where the energy and the money, the effort goes into making it a better place for all the people who live here. Kathleen, when you're making your travels around the world, do you have people from all nationalities? We're talking about being an earthling. Stan brings up a very good point again. Do you have people from all nationalities approaching you and giving you their stories? Yes, and, and I have to say this is uh, English-speaking individuals. I, uh, I've also had recently... Uh, an individual from Iran and uh, wasn't able to get a Persian translator, but uh, this individual be believes that he's having abduction experiences. Well, let uh, me know people... about that because I'm very close to the Persian community here in, in Canada, and I can get it translated just like that. And uh, if there's any Persians listening, salam, chitori, khubam, khutafez. Well... It's okay. good to have an educated broadcaster. <laughs> That's because I'm Canadian. Just don't put a hockey stick in my hand. Then I go Michigan and stand. <laughs> it would make this man very happy. <laughs> Sorry to well, interrupt you, Kathleen. Okay. Well, I, I've spoken in 18 countries, and people are interested everywhere. It's part of the uh, human condition, isn't it? I'm thinking. It seems to be. It no. seems to be that... Uh, you know, uh, some of the nasty, noisy negativists seem to think that uh, ain't no sensible person that believes in this flying saucer junk. But yeah. uh, when you go around, as I have, 
I'm up there on the stage, you know, very vulnerable. Mm. Eleven hecklers and over 700 lectures, that tells you something. Two of them were drunk. And I'll guarantee you I'd get that many if I talked about hockey or religion or, you know, sure. politics. Yeah, and I was telling Kathleen before, too, you know, people are suffering. Whether you want to believe it, it's an abduction scenario or perhaps uh, some sort of coping mechanism, it doesn't matter. What is important is helping the people and finding out what's at the root of it. And if it is an abduction scenario, which there's a pretty darn good chance it is, well, let's deal with it. Let's get it out in the open and get it out there and deal with it. And that's been my attitude. we got to help people that's out absolutely of Absolutely true. And, and that is the reason for MUFON to have um, developed the uh, experiencer research team because we have a number of people on the research team who will listen in a non-judgmental way uh, to experiencers. And uh, all a person has to do is to go to MUFON.com, click on Research, and then from the drop-down menu, click on Experiencer Questionnaire. Complete the questionnaire and uh, it will give you immediate feedback on what you have in common with other experiencers. But I will also receive that questionnaire, and I will assign a member of the team to get in touch with the experiencer, and uh, then the discussion can begin. We're sort of a triage unit, so if an individual is looking for support, we will do our best to find a support group, If they're looking for hypnosis, we'll do our best to find a hypnotherapist who works with experiencers. And if they uh, would like to have uh, an investigation of their experiences by the mutual UFO network, we can arrange for that as well. And then, of course, there is free Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters, of, uh, and I am on their advisory board and also a consultant to their research committee. But FREE has a support uh, organization as well. So you can visit experiencer.co and you will be able to find a list of uh, support individuals, uh, both therapists and hypnotherapists. Uh, who can help you if you are looking for help. And I just want to say, of course, those links will be on the nightfrightshow.com website. So if you need just a central focal point for that, absolutely, they'll be there without question, as well as links to our guest tonight's uh, books. That Stanton Friedman is our guest and Kathleen Martin. And, um, you know, uh, going back to that, and Kelly, I just want to thank you. Kelly Logue is a fellow that operates our, our website He's up in the um, in Juneau, Alaska, Ashley. So wow. It, yeah, it's a, it's an international event night for right now, <laughs> and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, Kelly, for uh, putting all that stuff online week after week after week. Um, he does it as a volunteer, and uh, he's just a terrific guy. Now I want to ask you, Kathleen, and then I, I'm going to extend a question off your answer to Stanton. Could you walk us through one question that's on that questionnaire? for those people that are listening right now wondering if they might be an abductee? 
One of them is, have you had a close encounter with a UFO? Another one is, was anyone with you when that occurred? And do they remember this as well? Another one, do you remember finding yourself in alien environment? Have you had any paranormal events in your life? You know, there are five. <laughs> you asked for one. That's fantastic. That's, we have about 30 questions. Uh, so I invite anyone who's interested just to, to go online and take a look. Okay, I'm going to go back to Stan now. Stan, have you ever answered that questionnaire? And if, do, you have any, do you have any memories of perhaps being an abductee? Nope. I've never even seen a darn flying saucer. But look, I spent 14 years chasing neutrons and gamma rays. Never saw one of them either. They're real too. So okay. you don't need to be involved, in other words, to see one to believe that they're real. Um, most of what we know about the world comes from other people's experiences. Kathleen, have you done the questionnaire yourself? Yes, I have. And what has been your consensus? <laughs> <laughs> you want to know my score? <laughs> From my score, it sounds like I'm an experiencer. Okay. An abductee? Yes. Do you have strong memories of being abducted? Yes, I do. do you, would you like to talk about any of those? Oh, uh, not particularly. It's okay. something that, uh, you know, I like to have the focus of what I do on my research. I have an understanding of what experiencers go through uh, because when I was a teenager, uh, my aunt Betty Hill was participating in psychophysics experiments with a team of scientists. Mm. And one of her goals was to ask uh, the individuals who had abducted her to land on my grandparents' farm. I lived across the street from my grandparents. and a craft actually did land on the farm. Oh, my And God. sometime in that, and it was observed by two different individuals uh, who were not related to one another. It left physical trace evidence on the ground. It was investigated. And in that time frame, my mother and I both recalled finding uh, ETs in our home and being taken to a craft and finding ourselves uh, undergoing an examination and you know so we don't have we did have physical evidence uh, to support that claim it's all anecdotal uh, it was in her memory it was in my memory and there was physical trace evidence that's all I can say fair enough and I respect that now I'm thinking that you being in the situation you're in now reaching out to abductees, that makes you the perfect person for something like this. I understand what they're going through. Empathy. Because I didn't speak uh, about this to anyone during my entire professional career mm -hmm. and in, during my time as uh, a UFO and abduction researcher. Stanton knew about this and... and uh, and kept this secret for many, many years. I had never intended to speak out about it, but I decided that I would tell the truth um, 
last September because I had been asked over and over and over and over again. And I'm not a person who lies well. I, you know, and I'd say no, or I'd think of another story that I could tell, and it just uh, was bothering me, and, and I felt I needed to tell the truth. Well, Stan is a stand-up guy for keeping that secret. Bravo, Stan. Folks, our guests tonight, Stanton Friedman and Kathleen Martin, two of the very, very best that are going to be at Contact in the Desert at the end of May, and that is, uh, as I look for my little sheet there, it is from May 29th to the 31st of 2015, by the way, folks. Stan, we've got a caller. His name is Bill Blackwell, and he's from Nevada. Bill, do you have a question for Stan? Yes. Hi. Listen, Stan, it's it's a great honor to to meet with you uh, over the phone here. I, uh, Brent had Jim Mars on uh, uh, a few weeks ago, and I told Jim, I oh. said, I felt, like, I felt like he was a long-lost uncle because I'd seen so much video and listened to him so much. Uh, the same for you. I feel like you live right down the street from me. I spoke to Kathleen before you came on the oh, air. Okay. I, had, I, had, I had sent out a Freedom of Information request uh, for her uh, on the Benny and Barney Hill. I was a, a litigating attorney for 30 years uh, and uh, thought that maybe I could lend some help there. I, I didn't hear back from them. I sent off a second one. There's two things with regards to the UFO community I'm having a hard time with. And I believe me, I believe in UFOs. I've never seen one such as yourself. I, you read so much, or I've read so much, that there's some kind of protection force circling the globe, spaceship-wise, that, that are protecting us from alien invasion. I see these stories, very compelling reports. I have a hard time believing that. That's number one. And number two is, you see this all over the place, that, that we've sent men to Mars, and there's there's a colony there of some sort or whatever. I'm dubious about both of those. I've read some of the Surpro stuff. I even did a column in the MUFON Journal. I've been doing one for years about Serpo, and I found inconsistencies with the stories. And You know, I, I believe in evidence is the first place. Got nice stories are well, good. I read a lot of fiction and I, I enjoy nice stories, but we need evidence, and it seems to be sorely lacking. And it's the same with I don't have any basis for saying aliens are circling around the planet and protecting us. That aliens are here, yes, that they've come on big, I'll call them motherships for want of a better phrase, uh, makes sense to me with little Earth excursion modules. But I don't know of anybody protecting us. Let me introduce an entirely different element into the story. Uh, I'd like to point out to people, because it surprises them, that the Earth is the densest planet in the solar system. Hmm. That means more heavy metals here than on any of the other planets. And some people might say, so what? Uh, many people think all the planets are the same. They're not. Um, the so what is that heavy elements are rare in the universe. We know that from studying the stars. So they may have been uh, mining goodies from here for a very long time. And maybe they don't want this place to be made a mess. Uh, in other words, if it becomes too radioactive, for example, uh, because of a nuclear uh, holocaust. I am not at all convinced that people have gone to Mars, and, and that is, Earthlings have gone to Mars, when they weren't being taken by an alien, you understand. <laughs> and I know there are people telling those stories all over the place. I just wanted to get your take because uh, people like myself, we very rarely get a chance to say, you know, talk to someone of your elk. I have enjoyed everything I've seen and, and read and, and heard from you over the years. So, you know, thank you very much for, for being who you are. Thank you very much, Mr. Freeman. You're welcome.
that's my buddy uh, Bill Blackwell from Nevada, by the way, folks. And he always has great, great questions for the guests when he calls in. Um, just to let you know, Kathleen, I wanted to let you know, Stanton and I have discussed it during the break, and we're both moving down there next winter. So, Florida? Yeah, oh, it's a, well, I hope it's near me. <laughs> it's going to be so close to you, you may see us every day. <laughs> Does that mean you're going to be living in my guest house? <laughs> Stock up right now. <laughs> kind of beer you drink, Stan. <laughs> <laughs> Canadian, of course. <laughs> Kathleen, I want to come back to you because there was a question I wanted to ask you in the first half of the show that I never got an opportunity to, and I, it's kind of a serious question. Given the nature of the show, Night Fright, you know, I have demonologists on and things of that nature. I've also had some uh, people that have gone through UFO abductions, uh, alien abductions, forgive me, and both have said that they're coming to a conclusion that the greys, in specific, may be demons. Have you come across this yourself? This is new to me, that's why. And I thought I'd ask you, because you're an expert on these situations. I have, yes, uh, that is uh, something that, that I have heard from mm. individuals. Uh, I disagree. Okay. With that, but uh, certainly that opinion has been expressed uh, about the grades uh, before. It, it, I have to tell you, sure. uh, during my, my years of investigation, I have come across some individuals who believe that they have been abducted. Mm -hmm. And when it gets right down to the nitty-gritty of the investigation, what I've discovered is that they have been interacting with demonic entities. Oh, That's the only way I, I can describe it, and, and not grays, but entities that in some photographs look like pictures that you might see in a book of mm -hmm. demons. All kinds of terrible things have happened, and I've even spoken to a state trooper who was involved in an investigation of all of this as well. I've also spoken to individuals who, whose experiences almost angelic, religious in a way, that there have been healing, that there has been a greater degree of understanding of their lives. So I'm finding what appears to be physical abduction or physical contact with groups of extraterrestrial beings, but then also what I would term more as paranormal experiences with negative entities, perhaps parasitic attachment, and also these religious experiences. You know, that's fascinating to me. Um, do you think that they could be interdimensional travelers, for example, from a, a different dimension? and, and there may be a whole different species besides greys. You know, we've heard of reptilians, the Nordics as well. Do you think these could be even something different that are camouflaging themselves to pass themselves off as aliens, but they're demonic? Am I going I too far out there? I suspect that in a percentage of cases that uh, are reported to MUFON, for example, uh, it is perhaps uh, contact with interdimensional beings. Mm. Yes, and I have worked with 
experts in the paranormal who have investigated this for a very long time because uh, I was surprised when I first encountered this uh, that it individuals thought it was abduction by extraterrestrials, but uh, I had to say at the end of the investigation that it was not. It did not have those characteristics. Probably uh, interdimensional. Stan, how do you feel about the possibility that some of these abductions may be being caused by demons, for lack of a better term? Well, I'll tell you, I've got a very large gray basket, as I call it, when I don't have enough data to decide the nature of something. Everybody wants a yes or a no. I'd say maybe. One of the chapters in uh, Kathy's in my book was about uh, paranormal phenomena, if you will, and how science wants to ignore it as much as it can. I would be amazed if an advanced civilization didn't know a heck of a lot more about the paranormal world. You can call it other dimensions, telepathy, all this kind of stuff. We're babes in the woods. Mm. We need to be reminded every once in a while that despite our egos about how important and advanced we are, and we've made a heck of a lot of progress in the last couple of hundred years, uh, we've not managed to learn a heck of a lot in how to live as decent people uh, if, if you look around the planet and what's going on here. So it wouldn't surprise me if there were all, all the... What, parasite, was that a word, Kathy, that you used? Yes, uh, uh, parasitic entity attachment. Uh, Paul yeah. Eno talks about that. Yes. Mm. Yeah, and so I, I leave room for all that stuff. But as a nuclear physicist, I, I have to say, if I don't have really convincing evidence, I won't say it doesn't exist. I'm saying I, it, it's not where I'm at. Well, I was going to ask, you know, a friend of mine was Ted Sorensen, JFK's speechwriter. He's the guy that JFK yeah. tasked to write the letter to Khrushchev. It wasn't JFK, folks. It was Ted. And during the Cuban Missile Crisis, I've always wondered if the aliens, and I'll ask you, Stan, and of course Kathleen too as well, do you think the aliens would have intervened had we come, I mean, we were close. We were so close that Jackie and the kids returned to the White House because JFK thought they were all going to die that day. That's how close we were. Uh, Do you think they would have intervened? I don't know. Frankly, I believe that in the Galactic Federation that there are some rules about that sort of thing, mm. that you can only go so far. Uh, you try to keep down bad things, try to keep bad things from happening. But I, I don't think it's within their mandate, if you will. Okay. How do you feel, Kathleen, with your knowledge of people? Well, I have to say that that is in my gray basket. Uh, I don't okay. have the level of knowledge to to be able to offer a, an informed opinion about that. I know that they are concerned about human behavior. They're particularly concerned about uh, military intervention. <laughs> uh, and uh, they are concerned that we could exterminate ourselves, but they've made no comments about intervening on our behalf. Mm, interesting. Okay. So are we worth saving, you know? Well, that that you know that's the logical next question I was going to ask are, you know, are we even relevant 
to save, or are we just more of an a nuisance, a nuisance on this planet if they are indeed coming here for our natural resources? Uh, you know, there's a lot of UFO. I, I live right on Lake Ontario, and there's tons of UFO sightings all the time in and around the lake, and uh, even some people have reported seeing lights under the water. So uh, if it is our natural resources, are we just in the way? Maybe they're hoping we do. You know, uh, well, it's, it's they're not like... sending any checks as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> MJ-12, uh, Stanton. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your, your, your thought. No, just that, you know, we, one of my books has 20 reasons for coming to planet Earth. <laughs> you know, they're grad students doing their thesis work on the development of a primitive society. Or their radio broadcast of a weekly show, Idiocy in the Boondock. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's Tim Hortons they come here for. That's a Canadian joke. Ah, okay. Yeah. Why, why not? Yeah. And <laughs> I, Tim Hortons in the United States? Not absolutely. Many, but, uh, I always say the same joke, uh, Stan, whenever, you know, we have aliens in Canada too, except they live in Ottawa. We call them politicians. <laughs> Prime Minister. Um, all that to say is MJ-12. There are rumors yeah. floating around, you know, Eisenhower spoke with aliens, Eisenhower didn't speak with aliens, and everything in between. Can we talk a little bit to that? Well, okay, that's two separate questions, really. A guy named Art Campbell has done a a book about... He he talked to some crew members of Ike's presidential plane. Wow. And he heard about when Ike was supposedly playing golf in Georgia, and he did a lot of that. Actually, the plane went off to Alamogordo, New Mexico, Holloman Air Force Base, and it was at one end, and a UFO was at the other end, and uh, they got together, Ike and those. And it wouldn't surprise me if it happened. Uh, of all the presidents, the one who was most aware, even more than George Bush, who was head of the CIA, but the one who was most aware of military intelligence and stuff and the importance of keeping your head together was Ike. I have the greatest respect for him. And of all the, the big shots on the planet, he's the one that I think could do the best job of dealing with aliens from a humanist, sensible, practical viewpoint. And so I don't know whether there's been contact or not. I do know that one of the stories, Haggerty was his press secretary, and the press was bothering him out in California, as a matter of fact, near Palm Springs. Uh, where's Ike? Where's Ike? So finally it came back. Well, he had been at the dentist, had dental work, was under anesthetic. We didn't want anybody in the world to know that because, you know, what if the weapons were launched at that time? That sort of stuff. Yeah, and, did and, some... and Nixon was vice president, so you, you really don't want anybody to know that. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> well... Bill Moore did some checking, and he found the dentist's wife. Hmm. She has no recollection of her husband working on the president. You'd think if he had, he would have such a memory. Secondly, he checked the medical records, and they keep very good medical records on presidents. You know, it's necessary. And there was no mention of dental problems at that time either. Neither one of those things proves that he was visiting with an alien. But... Uh, it certainly is possible, let's put it that way. Well, he was clearly not doing what he said he was doing. So it was yeah. super top secret. And, you know, who, who who can say? And Ike was good at keeping secrets. Yeah. Uh, 
and so this is one of many mysteries that we don't have an answer for. One thing that irks me in all the lecturing I do, I get people who think governments can't keep secrets. And that's pretty ridiculous. Uh, it, just one example, uh, when the Brits broke the German code, remember? Enigma. And all that sort mm -hmm. of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, there were 12,000 people at Bletchley Park in England whose job it was to uh, intercept, decode, translate and very carefully release to a very few people the information that they had learned. It's very important to know when your enemy is flying, when his boat, where his ships are going, all that sort of stuff. Incredibly important. But you couldn't let him find out that you had broken his codes or he'd change them, and then you're tough out of luck. Uh, there are 12,000 people at Bletchley Park busy doing this. And you know what? There was not a word said in public for 25 years after the war. All those people kept their mouths shut. That's very it's true. It's just one, one example of keeping secrets. Uh, the whole nuclear program, people are shocked when I tell them, you know, the first plant to separate uranium isotopes in the early 40s at Oak Ridge, Tennessee, was a mile long. It was using 5% of all the electricity produced in the United States to pump uranium hexafluoride gas through little holes and nickel sheets and enrich uranium isotopes because the lighter one is a little faster and so forth. Uh, an impossible project. 5% of the power in the United States, and that was all done in secret. And it cost a pretty penny to build that mile-long building, too, because it had sophisticated stuff in it. Uh, one of many secrets that were kept. Uh, the NRO uh, had a program to improve their satellites. They have these half-billion-dollar satellites, you know. And uh, you read the uh, license plates in the Pentagon, uh, in, the, uh, <laughs> in the Kremlin parking lot. Uh, uh, maybe at the Pentagon, too. I don't know. But uh, they, they had a program which, with Boeing to try to change the architecture of their satellites to make them more effective and so forth. And they spent $13 billion, and they canceled the program and didn't get what they wanted. All in secret. It didn't come out for many years after that. Our first spy satellite was successful after 12 failures in 1960. Uh, would you believe that it was finally declassified that we had the Corona spy satellites 30 years later? That's a pretty big secret to keep when you're talking about that much money. It's funny. Bill just wrote a little text, November 22nd, 1963. Bill, you must be clairvoyant because I was just going to bring that up to Stanton, but I was going to go back to November 12th, 1963. Do you think that memo that he sent out to the CIA asking for information about UFOs may have had something to do with his death 10 days well, later? I'm not even sure it's genuine. I've found ah. that there are dozens, there are dozens of phony MJ-12 documents. First time I've heard that. Perfectly natural. If some good stuff gets out, you flood the market with garbage and then let it rub off on the good stuff. Mm. I have found in a number of those documents. I talk about some of them in Top Secret Magic. Uh, I think of four documents as being genuine and many dozens being phony. So uh, and. They don't have some of the same characteristics of the ones that I think are genuine.
Now, on the subject of national security, Bill has another question for you guys. Bill? What is your opinion of the so-called underground base at Dulce? Do you think it exists? Is there something there? I've talked to some people who've done some good research out that way, and they can't find any evidence to back up those claims. There were some underground storage for weapons areas. You know, people forget that once you've got spy satellites and intercontinental ballistic missiles, you tend to want to put stuff underground where your enemy can't see what you're doing. So I'm not saying there's no uh, underground facilities there, but I haven't been able to find any evidence. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Phil Schneider, I guess, and there's some lurid stories about uh, Tulsi and bad things going on and him being uh, assassinated, if you will. And I haven't found any evidence to support that, which doesn't prove it didn't, hasn't happened. But Because absen absence of evidence is not evidence for absence. It's kind of like one of the MJ-12 things, to get back to that, uh, the listing of the members of this supposedly super-secret group, et cetera. There was a real surprise there. Uh, all kinds of military people, dozen people, but one guy stood out, Dr. Donald Menzel, a Harvard University professor of astronomy who'd written three anti-UFO books, gave papers saying there's nothing to it. How could he be part of such a, a committee? Well, I found his name in somebody else's papers, and I wondered about it, so I got permission from three different people to look at Harvard, and I was totally shocked to find in letters between him and Jack Kennedy. Menzel led a double life. He had a top-secret uh, ultra-clearance. He did, had a longer and continuous connection with the National Security Agency of anybody that classified work for a couple of dozen different companies. He wrote Kennedy that when we are properly cleared to each other, I can tell you more about the NSA. It, it turns out he was a world-class cryptographer code breaker and stuff like that. Right. All kinds of classified work. Nobody knew that. And I get people arguing with me. He couldn't have led a double life. They don't go to Harvard. They don't look at the papers. Uh, and as a matter of fact, there's even a paper in the journal, the contributions to cryptology of Donald Menzel by a guy who read his unpublished uh, autobiography, which I had looked at too. Uh, but I get people... How do you engage in a discussion about that if you don't check out the evidence? Uh, so I'm an evidence man. Bill, you had another question as well about Area 51. You hear so much about it. I just wanted to know, uh, since a lot of people contact you, Stan, uh, if you know if there's anything new that has come out uh, recently about Area 51 or, or S4. Well, there was a big discussion about them at the International UFO Congress in uh, February and. And Bob Lazar was there, first real public appearance. And I've been asked about Bob a zillion times, and then, so I decided to check. And I talked to MIT and Caltech, and I talked to his high school, and it turns out he's not telling the truth about his own background. It makes it hard to accept anything else, he says. On the other hand, there certainly is an Area 51. Uh, it was set up originally for the development of the U-2 aircraft out in the middle of nowhere not too far from the nuclear test site where I have had nuclear rocket engine scientific investigations going on. I mean, that's a real place. So we're not getting the full story. Just a little tidbit, folks, about Area 51. I had um, the ex-Canadian defense minister on, Paul Hellyer, and yeah. uh, 
Yeah, and, and um, he was telling me, Stan, you'd be interested in this because he said that he thinks there may be a fully intact Avro Arrow at Area 51. Really? So, yeah, so if you run into him, uh, you may want to talk to him about that. Now, the well, Avro... I saw him in uh, <laughs> Toronto the other day. <laughs> oh, gee. So, yeah. Um, that. That's okay, it's okay. So uh, that was something that was, uh, you know, for Canadians... We had designed this, Canada had designed this airplane yeah. in 1957 that was cutting-edge technology. And yep. um, unfortunately, for funding reasons, it got shut down. And all those guys ended up going to NASA and put a man on the moon within 10 years. <laughs> yeah. uh, pretty amazing story. Um, anyways, the, the story is that the all the aircraft were, because of national security reasons, were at the height of the Cold War, they didn't want the Russians to see them or be able to uh, reverse engineer them, if you will. They were all cut up. But the rumor has always been that one of them was flown out of the country, and nobody knew where it went, but there was one still intact. And uh, anyways. Wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> be interesting. The bodies. The bodies from Roswell. Do they still exist? Did they ever exist? Well, I, I certainly think they ever existed. If you look at my book, Crash at Corona, right. uh, which is the definitive study of the Roswell incident, so so right on the cover, <laughs> how can you not believe it? Uh, I think there were bodies, uh, and I think that they would have been preserved for a very long time because the reason is that as a scientist, I have to say, new technology comes along all the time. We didn't know about DNA back then. Absolutely. We didn't know about all kinds of things. So you'd keep it under ice, if you will, on ice, uh, so that you can do more studies to find out more. Our technology has advanced so rapidly uh, in many different areas. It's not just biology, but certainly in biology. Uh, when you look at what we can do now with, you know, if you put a, you, if you make a fingerprint on a piece of stuff, metal or paper, I gather you can get enough material from that fingerprint, if things are right, that you can check on DNA of the person who made the fingerprint. Now, we couldn't do that 10 years ago or 30 years ago. Uh, you know, so why would you, you wouldn't get rid of bodies is what I'm saying. And when people say, well, where could you hide them? There are loads of bases that people aren't admitted to, not just Area 51, all kinds of places that you can't go into. I've driven by Area 51. <laughs> and Larry King and I had hamburgers together at, in Rachel, Nevada, at the Little Alien. How's that? That's really cool. That's cool. That's <laughs> fabulous. But uh, so you see what I'm saying. There really is an Area yes. 51, and there's a lot of classified stuff going on there. And it's probably true that some of it was moved to Dugway Proving Grounds, where they did biological warfare stuff. And you can't get in there. And justify it. The sign on so. the door says it, it's okay. use of lethal force is approved for any intruders. So uh, there's a lot going on that we don't know. Yeah, and I wouldn't want to test that resolve in a, a post-9-11 uh, no. era. No. <laughs> I'm not volunteering. <laughs> no, I won't get one. Kathleen, do people come to you and say that they've had an abduction experience 
kind of like an out-of-body experience. I'm, I'm going back to the energy of, of people and everything is energy. Do cases like that come across your desk? They absolutely do. Uh, my cases run the gamut, I have to tell you. Okay. Um, but there, there are a certain percentage of individuals who do have out-of-body experiences and feel that they have gone uh, to communicate with extraterrestrials. Uh, Is it always on a spaceship, or sometimes do they actually go to the planet? I'm thinking if they astral project. We've heard this saying many times. Well, you know, certain some people uh, okay. That's a first astral effort, project to, to other planets and, and will describe uh, being in a different spot. Mm. Uh, I don't you know. The variety of human experiences uh, is just incredible, you know, from human consciousness experiences yeah. all the way over to physically real experiences. And uh, I hear about all of these different types of experiences. What are some of the commonalities? We had mentioned in the opening hour that there were some commonalities between some of these. This is something that Free is looking at as well. Have you yes, found they, any, has there been anything of a revelation for you that, wow, look at this? Well, uh, actually, yes. Uh, in 2012, Denise Stoner and I uh, conducted a year-long research project. We were able to have got uh, 50 experiencers and a 25-person um, control group. These are people who were not experiencers. We had 45 questions for the experiencers, and we discovered 23 commonalities. 23? That were not common among the general population. And some of those things were um, as simple as uh, the question, how old were you when you believed that your first abduction occurred? And we discovered that 70% of the respondents indicated that they were under age 20 when this happened. And 36% thought that they were under age 5. Uh, that's one question. Uh, we also asked questions about uh, their conscious recall. 88% uh, uh, stated that their abduction memories were consciously recalled, uh, at least some of them. So, you know, you think about individuals uh, who are uh, scientists who are explaining all of this away as uh, sleep paralysis or hypnagogic, <laughs> hypnopompic hallucinations. But when it comes down to our research, we're finding that 67% uh, stated that they consciously recalled the observation of unconventional craft at less than 1,000 feet prior to their abduction experience. It's a no. pretty statistically significant no figure. 56% uh, stated that they consciously recalled the observation of non-human entities immediately prior to an abduction while they were outside of their home. Um, not, so in their <laughs> not in their no, bed. Not in their bed. I was going to, yeah, that's what I noticed right away. Fully conscious. And 76% said that they were not alone when they were taken. We we're going to have to start to wrap up. I'm just looking at the time. I want to thank Bill from Nevada for joining us. I want to thank Kathleen Martin, who uh, 
is a super trooper, and she's going to put Stan and I up next winter in her Florida home. And of course, <laughs> Stanton Friedman, the one, the only. Stan, Kathleen, Bill, thank you all so much for coming on the show. www.nightfrightshow.com. There you will find all the contact links to all the subject matter we've been speaking about. And there's the music I got to run. I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. Thank you all for listening. See you next time. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Accounts for yours right now, nightfrightshow.com.